Come on, can we make some noise for Jesus this morning? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. That was like one of the little golf claps, man. <laughs> well, once again, welcome to the Becoming Church. And I do, uh, before we move forward, wanted to uh, take a moment and pause. Um, to, uh, we are, th- this weekend uh, is Memorial Day weekend, and so I definitely want to stop and, and pause and, and be able to remember and honor uh, so many people um, that have made the ultimate sacrifice and, and laying down their life um, for us to better have the opportunity to do this. Because understand this, you know, this is just a small portion of, of Christians around the world and believers around the world do not have the opportunity uh, to gather like this in a space like this to be able to come in without fear of anything. And not just that, but so many other freedoms uh, in this nation that we do get to uh, enjoy. And so I wanted to stop and pause um, to uh, remember and honor all those who uh, laid down their life and made the ultimate sacrifice uh, for this nation, for you and I. And also with that, I know it's Memorial Day, but I also do want to take time to honor honor uh, anyone that may be currently uh, serving. If you're currently serving or maybe you are uh, retired from the military, I don't want to embarrass you, but would you mind standing? We'd love to take the chance, the opportunity to be able to honor you. If that's you, would you stand and let us do that? Come on, church. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, and honor you uh, so much for your willingness to put um, your life on the line and oftentimes where uh, you don't receive that thank you. And so on behalf of us, uh, we're saying thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. Thank you for uh, the sacrifice that you made for all of us, and we appreciate that. And it's really a model of Jesus being willing to lay his life um, down for others um, to experience life. So thank you so much. Well, hey, church, I'm excited Uh, to continue. And this is the final uh, installment of our collection, Practicing the Way. And uh, I'm excited to kick it off. And I've really enjoyed uh, this collection. I think, honestly, it's going to be something that we'll do annually. Um, And for those of you, this may be uh, your first time with us today. Practicing the Way has been this uh, collection uh, that we've just, basically, we've been discussing what does it look like Uh, to follow Jesus. What does that mean? We hear the term Christian uh, used so much, but what does that mean? Because I've come to find out that Christian for one person means something else than it does for a person on the other side. So what does that even mean? And we discussed how really earlier Christians, if you will, before they were called Christians, that term didn't come until later at Antioch. And it was really a term of, uh, it was an insult. It wasn't a term of endearment. But they were living like Jesus so much that the label Christian was placed on them. But prior to that, they were called followers of the way. They followed the way. That's what it meant. And it alluded to what Jesus said uh, to, uh, in response to a question that Thomas asked, like, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we've been looking at that. Uh, we've talked about uh, the way of faith, the way of community, uh, the way of love, and last week, the way of transformation. And uh, man, there's so many different angles, so many different ways that we're going to take, th- we can take this. And that's why I really think this is going to be uh, a collection that we do annually. Because listen, we didn't feel like this church needed to be launched to just do church as normal, just to be regular and just come in on a Sunday and check a box. But we're, uh, we're like, Lord, we want this to matter. 
So here we are. We're going to present ourselves week in and week out and throughout the week in belong groups. And, Lord, we want to be renewed. We want to be changed. We really want to be saints, the people of God, the people of Jesus. We want to be the called out ones. So we just want to let's go back to the basics and let's just follow the way. Let's see how did the early church live when the church was birthed. And they met house to house and they met in the temple and they took care of each other and met whatever needs were there. And that's the model that we want to follow. That's how we want to see um, the becoming church lived out. Not something that we check on a box, not something that becomes ritual, but something that we connect to and experience God together. Amen. Amen. So in this final installation, uh, we're going to be coming from uh, First Peter Uh, Chapter 4, we're going to read verses 9 and 10. So a whole bunch of verses for you to track with today. So you can flip. That was a joke. You can laugh there. You can flip with me there. Or if it's not, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, it's going to be available here on the screen. But it's 1 Peter 4, uh, 9 through 10. It says this. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you today. God, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather like this. And, Father, we just pray, Lord, over these next few moments, God, uh, we pray, Lord, that you speak to us. Lord, reveal through your word what it is you want us to see. And, Father, we say this, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, come on, everybody said? Amen. 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 So some of you guys know this, but um, Katie and I, we have three kids. Uh, we've got Isaiah, Titus, and the youngest, Zoe. And what we're finding out with the kids is they are at this point where they know that they are getting on each other's nerves. But beyond just knowing, they know how to get on each other's nerves. They're at that point now. Like before, I felt like they got on each other's nerves, but they didn't really know, you know, that, oh, when I do that, that really ticks him off. Or when this happens, like, oh, he really gets agitated. Now I feel like they know what buttons to push to get on the other one's nerves. And you hear bickering, complaining. I mean, especially... The boys, I mean, they're like two 90-year-old men. I'm like, can y'all just be quiet? Upstairs in their room, they share a room and just complaining and this and telling and all of this. But that is not the worst of it. The worst of it is actually the baby girl, the last one in the name of Jesus. (laughs) What? She knows exactly how to get on her brother's nerves. And she gets away. She knows she can get away with things because she is the youngest and happens to be the only girl. And so she knows she can get away with things. And she annoys them. I mean, she's abusive. It's a situation. Like Isaiah, the oldest, comes running talking about Zoe hit me in my eye. And she owns up to it. It's like, Zoe, did you do it? Mm, yeah. 
you know, almost as if he had it coming for him. He didn't do nothing. He just existed. Like, that was the problem. But we're just, we're, we're, we're noticing it. And one thing's like, the things that we say, I don't know, maybe 50,000 times, stop and share. Come on, are there any parents? I felt like I would have got a better amen right there. Like, stop that. Stop this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Stop. Share. T- take turns. Well, they had, like, <laughs> Titus, right? So he gets something from Isaiah. Hey, is it my turn? I'm like, he just gave it to you, son. Like, you barely released the grip of it. And so I don't know. If you have older kids in here, like, does it, does it, does it end? Yeah. Um, that, 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 that was not the answer I was, I was wanting to hear. I, I, I really was hoping that you would say, hey, just weather through this moment that is going to get better, and eventually they will share with each other. But, I mean, way to crush some hopes. This is supposed to be life-giving on a Sunday morning, and you just, well, listen, <laughs> the call to share is not exclusive to kids. The call to share is not just something that we were taught as a young child, something that we were told growing up that we need to do, we need to learn to share. But the call to share is actually something, a call that is given to every one of us that say we are followers of the way. Every one of us that say we are Christians, that not only do we believe in Jesus, but we want our action to reflect that we are called to share. And you may be asking to to share what? I don't exactly play with Paw Patrol toys. (laughs) But my answer is this. We're called to share our lives. You're called to share your life. And in this final uh, conversation of our collection, Practicing the Way, I want to speak today from the headline, The Way of Hospitality. And so if you're taking notes, you can write that down, The Way of Hospitality. Now, when you heard of the word hospitality, what came to your mind? Maybe it was the time that you were in town and uh, visiting an old college uh, roommate or college friend, and, and they welcomed you in, uh, in, into their home. And, I mean, they had everything laid out. They had your, your, your favorite drinks. They had your favorite snacks. Uh, the, the bed was, was, was ready. The pillow, uh, the, the towels were ready. Like, literally, everything was there for you. Maybe that came to mind. Or maybe you're thinking about a hotel that you stayed at of where it seemed like they literally did not miss any details. You walked into the room, they had your name on the TV, they had some mints, they had a cookie for you, like literally every single detail. When you came back to the hotel, it was like, Glenn, so good to see you. You know, like, man, like, man, these people think of everything. Maybe that came to mind. Or maybe you thought about uh, the get-togethers that you and your friend group or your family that y'all throw uh, once a month, y'all have once a month. Maybe that came to mind when you thought about hospitality. You thought about how we get to grill and chill and just kick it. And I would say, like, that's a good start. But hospitality is so much more than that. The Greek word used in the New Testament and including here in our text this morning for hospitality is philoxenia. Say that three times. But it means this. It means lover of strangers. Now, this is in direct contrast with xenophobia, which means fear of strangers. So all my, 
all my introverts in the room, like, that's me, that's me. Xenophobia, you say over there, bro, like fear of strangers. We'll say hi from a distance. <laughs> but this means philoxenia, it means the practice of hospitality is so much more than just inviting your friends and family over to sharing a meal, but it means to invite strangers over as well. It means being willing to share your life. And so this morning, I want us to make three observations on how we can share our lives. Because remember, we're following the model of Jesus. We are followers of the way. And this is what Jesus did. He shared his life. And so we want to follow what he did. Remember the goal, the way that we are reorganizing our lives, reorienting our lives is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And so the way of hospitality, this is us doing what Jesus did. Like he came eating and drinking. That's what he did. He ate. I mean, come on. Who, who can't get around that? Eating and drinking. So we're going to follow the way of Jesus, and that begins by us sharing our lives. And Peter, the writer of this text, he's writing to persecuted Christians in Asia Minor, and he's encouraging them to continue to hold true to the way of Jesus, that don't lose um, the message. Don't forget the messages that you have been taught. Don't forget the teachings that you have been taught because of the persecution that you've been ongoing, that's been ongoing, to continue to move in purpose despite what you're facing. And that's true for us today, that with all the uncertainty that we face, with everything that's going on, it's easy for us to shrink back. It's easy for us to kind of just get into our own space and kind of hide out and kind of stay in this box. But Jesus is saying, no, that is not the way. I want you to pursue hospitality, to practice hospitality. And this is what Peter is stirring uh, the writers, that he, uh, the people that he was writing to then. But also he's stirring us up to this today, to practice hospitality, to demonstrate love. And the way we demonstrate that love is to indeed practice hospitality. And so the first observation that we're going to make this morning is this, make room. So if you're taking those, you can write that down. It's our first observation. We're going to make room. So hospitality, remembers it translates to lover of strangers, meaning true hospitality is not just for connecting with people that are easy to connect with or connect with people that are exactly like you, but it means connecting with people who are completely different than you. And so that means we got to ask ourselves, are we making room for people who are different than us in our lives? Like that's, that's something we got to look at. Like, it's easy to connect with people who look like you. It's easy to connect with people who think like you, vote like you, have the same uh, cultural experiences as you. But it is different, and it is work to spend time connecting with people who don't vote vote like you, who don't think like you, who don't have the same cultural references as you. And so this is what we are being called to. We're being called to true hospitality that is not just connecting with people that are like us, but it's also connecting with people that are different than us. It's connecting with people that are defined as strangers. Now understand this in the context of what we just read, 
they were being persecuted. So it was even, it was risky to gather just with people you know, but even more so strangers. But yet the call to practice hospitality was still there. And that is still true today. That's why we say this is part of the vision of this church is to believe in community, to not live isolated lives, but to make room in our lives for others. Understand, your life is more about others than it is just about you. That, Lord, our prayer should be, Lord, how can I be a blessing to the people around me? And you know how you check that? You check your prayers. Are all of your prayers about you and yours? Or do your, uh, or do your prayers actually reach other people? Do your prayers reach the person you can't stand at work that always gets on your nerves? There it is. I knew I touched something at some point. But do your prayers reach there? Do your prayers go there? That's how we can discover if we're making room for people. And one of my favorite examples of how Jesus made room for for people that would have been deemed as different as ones that we don't mess with, is found in Luke 19. And it's the story of Zacchaeus, and it's going to be available on the screen. I'm going to blaze through it. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Those were the haters. He was gone to to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And so I want to ask three questions. Like you don't have to answer them out loud. But I'm asking us three questions or two questions, and I'm going to make one statement for us to reflect. Here's the first question. Does your life give people a perspective of Jesus or a perspective of you? Because in verse 4 it says, So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So that's the question we must ask. Does our life give people a perspective of Jesus or a perspective of us. And family, if we're being honest, I think in the time and space that we're living in, a lot of us in here, come on, we're going to be honest, our lives are giving people a perspective of us more than it's giving people a perspective of Jesus. But we're not called to give people a perspective of us. We are called to give people a perspective of Jesus. So, our opinion on some uh, uh, how you should vote or what you should view on this or what you should do on this or this, that, and the other. All of us are quick to head to the comment section more than we are quick to go and pray. 
more than we are quick to go and love the people around us. And so what's happening, we're not giving people a perspective of Jesus. We're giving people a perspective of us. But listen, I know you think a lot about yourself. I know I may think a lot about myself, but it's not the message of Michael that's going to bring change to any, any space or anyone. It's the message of Jesus that is going to bring change to any place. And so we have this call, we have this responsibility for our lives not to point people to us and what we think and what our opinion is on our views and how we see that and what we would have done, how we would have responded and what they should have said. No, our job is to point people to Jesus. Even so, the next time, thank you, come on, because I felt like that was a good word right there. The next time somebody asks you your opinion, no, don't point to what you think. Point to what the word says. Because we got to understand, we may live in a nation that is a democracy, but we serve a monarch. We serve a king. So he says, Michael, that's cool. You got your little podcast, but put your podcast away. You need to only repeat and rehearse and live what I'm saying. So the next time someone's like, what do you feel about this? Let me tell you what the word says. We're going to flip here and we're going to turn here. And you may disagree with it and it may, and it may be offensive, but the, Jesus was offensive to people. Because he was breaking up these cultural, religious norms that says, no, you're supposed to be a conquering king to, to free us of wrong. Instead, Jesus said, listen, I'm setting up a kingdom in your heart. I come to change the hearts of men. When I say men, that means women as well. Okay? So our lives have to give people a perspective of Jesus. Can they climb up in the tree of our life, if you will, and see Jesus? Or will they just see what we're about? Listen, I know it's a tough thing. We've been trained to just spat off and talk about what we think. Man, but we've been doing that forever, and it hasn't changed anything. It's time for the church to get back to pointing to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Here's the next thing. Different from doesn't mean better than. Verse 7, remember the haters? All the people saw this when Jesus went to go be with Zacchaeus, hang with him. All the people saw this and began to mutter that he is going to be the guest of a sinner. Because they thought they were better. But listen, different from doesn't mean better than. Like, yes, I'm different from you, but I'm not better than you. And the only reason I'm different from you is because I've experienced the one who has made a difference. But if I love you and if I care for you, then I can take you to that same difference maker. But unfortunately, over the years, us as the church We've kind of taken this position that we're better. That, man, we holy. I can't, I can't mess with you. I'm, I'm a holy one. I'm righteous. I mean, I know my stuff stinks, but not as much as yours. And so what that has happened is created this thing where people feel ostracized. And then they, they can't connect. They say, well, you say that's what your message is, but that's not what you are presenting to me. And so we say belong to community, 
Because we want people to understand that you can connect and belong to this church regardless of where you stand, where you believe, where you see things. For this reason, if people can connect around genuine, authentic community, it positions for them what? The next part of the vision of this church, to believe in Jesus. But if it's never genuine, if it's never authentic, if it's this I'm better than you kind of mentality, then people can never connect with it. And who are we to think that we're better than anybody? Because we only got to where we are because of Jesus, because of his grace. That's why he says, listen, you can't even take credit for this. It's not your works, but it is by grace. So it's only grace that has made the difference. That's why we need to live with humility to understand that we didn't get there on our own. And then here's the last thing. Do you want to join the mission of Jesus? It says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus has not stopped that. He has not, he has not stopped seeking and saving the lost. And so we get an opportunity to partner with what Jesus is still doing, to get on mission with him. You say, how? By hospitality, by choosing to share your life with others. Not, and not just the people that it's easy to do that with, but to share your life with strangers. Here's the next observation. Another way that we can practice the way of hospitality is to do this, to make time. Now, have you ever noticed that when you ask someone, and maybe it's someone you haven't seen in a while, it's like, yo, how you been? The response is, whoo, busy. <laughs> yeah, some little five-year-olds, how you been? Busy. But you've been busy. Like literally, anybody you ask, the response is always busy. To the point, culturally, it's become a badge of honor. Team, no sleep. No, you need to get some sleep, right? I was going to say something there, but I'm not going to say it. I'm not. Yeah, the Holy Spirit works like, don't do it, son. Don't do it. But it's become a badge of honor of team no sleep. Like, no, you need to get sleep because we, we work from rest, right? So you, you need to get sleep. Being busy is not a badge of honor we should want. And I don't know, I don't know if it's that we're so busy more than is that for some of us, we just may be bad at time management. Or maybe we commit to the wrong things. And so because we're committing to the wrong things or we're mismanaging our time, now we're living these hurried up lives. And so now we say a hurried life is a busy life. And to quote uh, John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says this. It's a quote of a quote. He's quoting Corey Ten Boom, who once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And there's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the same exact effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. Like, can you not just hear that and read that and just be convicted? Because oftentimes, that when your life gets busy, have you noticed your prayer life diminishes? Have you noticed that when life gets busy, anything that is related to the Lord is the first thing to go? Well, I would, but... Well, I wish I could, but, but listen, we must take the model of Jesus and slow down. That it's hard to practice hospitality without slowing down. Look at Jesus in scripture. You never see 
where he was in a hurry. If you are, can you point me to that text? Like oftentimes, he, he just walked places. Even when his homeboy, his best friend, Lazarus, he got news from Martha and Mary that the one you love is sick. You need to go ahead and get here. The Bible tells us Jesus stayed where he was four days. He was not in a hurry. He wasn't so spiritual that he could never relax. Even in the storm, what is he doing? He was sleeping on the boat. And they freaking out, but he had his head on a pillow, slob all over the thing. <laughs> or even look at John 2. He's at a wedding. Y'all don't want to deal with this. Your Jesus was in the cha-cha slide. <laughs> Your Jesus was hitting the electric slot. That's how I see it. That's how I read scripture. It was like. <laughs> Go, Jesus. Can you, can you imagine like he in the middle and he just kind of getting it, you know, killing it, hitting the robot, all that? That's how I read it, okay? I'm sorry. But he made the guest list. It's like, yo, come hang. Come be a part of this. So he had to be fun. He had to be someone that you didn't mind spending time with. And if you're familiar with that story, it was the first miracle of Jesus that we saw where he turned water into wine. And I think some of us, we're so busy in life that we miss the miraculous. But listen, family, living in the moment sets the stage for the miraculous. That oftentimes we're so busy, we're so fast-paced that we can miss the miracle in the moment. We can miss what the Lord wants to do in a moment. And hear me, the solution As I get ready to close, the solution to a busy life isn't more time. It's slowing down and orienting your life around what really matters. It's living a simple life. We don't have to be a part of everything. We don't have to see what someone else is doing, and we got to do that too. No, just live a simple life. Enjoy your family. Slow down. One thing that we try to make sure that we do is we eat at the table because we want our kids to grow up and to have those conversations around the table. Because think about what a, ta- what a table means. There's, there's healing at a table. Like there's, there's, there's less life lessons that happen at the table. And I get it. There's sports and everything else, and that's all awesome. But we can't miss those moments to slow down and just take in the moment. And so in closing, here's the last observation. Let's make it happen. So we're going to make room. We're going to make time. And then we're going to leave out of here. We're going to make it happen. You know, the history of talking about the table, the history of the church is found around the table. As I said earlier, Jesus came eating and drinking. And the table is where the people of Jesus met. You can look at it this way. The gospel spread from one table to the next table. It went from home to home, from one home to the next home, all simply over a meal. I mean, how simple is that to just gather around a table? I think sometimes we make this so hard, but just go share a meal. Acts 2.46, it says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And some people will say, well, they broke bread, meaning communion. Yeah, I believe they did that too. But also they ate. Next Sunday, we'll take communion together. But they also ate together. To gather around a table is a far more spiritual experience than we think. It's not just simply eating a meal. Like, listen, we are better together, but more than just being better together, family, we are stronger together. See, our vertical relationship with God is important, but we can't dismiss our horizontal relationship with each other. In fact, I believe this, that it's difficult to have a strong, healthy, vibrant, vertical relationship with God absent of a strong, healthy, vibrant, horizontal relationship with each other. Why? Because we're the family of God. That we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we get to spur one another. That we get to build up the faith of each other. And so if you're kind of going through a difficult moment, a difficult time, we get to encourage each other, which ultimately strengthens this vertical relationship. But that doesn't happen if we're living life absence of a horizontal relationship. See, families that gather at the table, and it doesn't have to be this glamorous, decked out, Instagram-worthy, Pinterest-worthy kind of situation. But the table can just simply be this ordinary, mundane place. But know that there are miracles in the mundane. The table is a place where life-giving community happens. I mean, think about it. Some of your best moments, your favorite moments of life happen around a table. Whether it was a joke in a moment or whether it was remembering some, something that happened at the last get-together, it probably occurred at the table. Some of life's best moments happen at the table. So when you set a table, when you share a meal, you're creating a space where people feel love, heard, and can experience God. Yes, all over a meal. Yes, it is that simple. That's why we believe in belong groups as they kick off uh, this week. And it's going to be the way moving forward and even bigger in September because we believe that meeting house to house, that sharing a meal together is a spiritual experience. Because here's this, in 2020, for church, everything changed. And it was revealed how deeply we were connected as a spiritual family in those times when we couldn't do this. I don't know what the next thing is or would be or whatever, but could we still be spiritually connected if we couldn't gather in here? That if we could only gather and meet house to house? Because I love this, and this is great, and this is exciting. But if you ask me, the dream is to know that the people in this space are meeting house to house. They're meeting together. They're showing up at each other's kids' ball games. They're showing up at graduations. They're showing up at parties. They're showing up to, to major milestone moments in your life because it means just as much to them as it does to you. That is what it means to be spiritually connected. Like, yes, we get to worship together. Think about how much more this space is when that happens. And then once we know all each other in here, let's go find some other strangers. 
let's welcome them in to the family of God. To pull up a chair at the table. That with your issues, with your flaws, with your struggles, that you've got as much right as I do to belong to this table. And everything else, we can figure it out. You say, well, how do we do this? Get in a small group. And many of you have. But get in a belong group. Move out of a row and get into a circle. Face the awkwardness. We're all awkward. Even if you think you're not, you are. Just ask the right person. They'll tell you. And just face it, okay? We're all awkward. We all got we got in the car. Oh, I messed that up, didn't I? Like, we all had those moments. It's, it's okay. They doing it too. If you didn't like the potato salad, don't try it next time. It's okay. Just still go back. But be a neighbor. Open up your home to the people around you. Like, I know you might have to do some vetting, you know, but open up your home and then commit to it. Listen, community is hard, but community is worth it. And I hope y'all catch my heart in this. Like, I just don't want to do what you do in church in America. But I want us to really be a spiritual family connected together and meeting the needs of each other. So here's the thing. If you don't remember any, anything else, and if you don't, tomorrow at noon on YouTube is going to be available, okay? The way of hospitality is expressing the welcome of God to everyone through genuine acts of love. And we do it through giving food, shelter, and relationship. That's it. So follow Jesus' example of eating and drinking with somebody who has yet to experience the Father's welcome. And you don't need much, family. You don't need all this stuff and anything. All you need is a table. It could be makeshift, and that's it. Would you pray with me?